Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. I am your host, Michael Delaware, and today I'm going to talk to you about a historian that had a profound impact on recording the history of Calhoun County and Kalamazoo County in the early pioneer days. And his name was Anson de Puey Van Buren. So this is a very fascinating story, and he was an early pioneer that grew up on the Gogwak Prairie. So in a book that I found called American Biographical History of Eminent and Self-Made Men, Michigan Volume, it was published in 1878, there is a biography in here on Anson de Puy Van Buren, also known as ADP Van Buren, which is how I'll be referring to him in the rest of this podcast episode, as the full name is a bit of a mouthful, and he was more well-known in his time as ADP. He was born in 1822 in Kinderhook, New York. His parents were Ephraim Van Buren and Olive J. Van Buren. His father was of Dutch descent and belonged to one of the old baronial families of Columbia County, New York. He was a man described as having a vigorous constitution, strong intellect, and retentive memory. He was also the cousin of ex-president Martin Van Buren and and Ephraim Van Buren furnished much of the means wherein the future president, Martin Van Buren, received his education. Interestingly enough, his mother, Olive J., was also described as being a woman of excellent character and sterling virtues, and she was a relative of John J., the first Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. So his family had some prominent background that connected to the early founding of the United States. Now, ADP was the youngest of nine children, and his family in 1826 removed from New York Mills, Oneida County in New York, where Anson had received an education at the village schools. It was during that time in his boyhood that he had the rare opportunity of listening to the preaching, lectures, and public discussions of the foremost preachers, orators, and reformers of that day. For example, here he heard the eloquent McDowell of New York on moral reform, Theodore Weld on temperance, and President Basiah Green, the powerful abolition advocate, as well as Garrett Smith, the anti-slavery reformer, and Charles G. Finney, the revivalist, who was a brilliant orator in his day. There were also several other temperance reformists that he heard quite frequently during his boyhood. And it was described that here being how he was taught and is by these great masters of oration, that the subject of this sketch imbibed these views of religion, temperance, and reform that governed him so much in his later life. In October 1836, with his father and mother and the rest of his family, they moved to Michigan. The trip was made by the Erie Canal to Buffalo, taking some weeks, and thence by the steamer United States to Detroit. He was 13 years old at that time, and he retained a vivid recollection of the long journey, which he recalled in his later writings called The Pioneer Annals, Volume 5 of the Pioneer Collections. From Detroit, the family journeyed in a wagon drawn by two yoke of oxen to Battle Creek and found a log cabin built on the claim by older brothers. He helped his father cut down the first trees on the farm and was kept busy with the other boys 
at hard labor. The family had brought 500 pounds of dried codfish with them from their old home, which they exchanged for pork with neighbors. At that time, they called that paying with dicker, a more localized term for a barter system. In the spring of 1837, wheat was $2 a bushel, corn and oats very high, and when they could be bought at all, potatoes were 10 shillings per bushel, and it was necessary to go as far as Prairie Ronde, a round trip of some 60 miles, to get them at that price. The cattle they had on their land were kept with a scarce supply of marsh grass and the buds and tender twigs of treetops cut down strictly for that purpose. He records as a tender remembrance during those days that after a year, had gone by and they had not seen a person or thing they had known in New York, his mother found a housefly that had been caught and preserved between the leaves of a book. And she exclaimed, here is a fly from the state of New York. Now children, don't touch it. Let it remain in the book just as it is, for it is a fly that once lived in our old home. So this was how his Michigan life commenced. For the first few years that he was in Michigan, he had no advantages of going to school, but made the chimney corner his schoolroom. He used the elementary spelling book, the old English reader, a copy of Olney's Geography, De Bowles Arithmetic, and Kirkham's Grammar were his teachers. It was an evening school, kept mostly in the winter season, and all the light that he had came from a hickory bark thrown on the fire. There he studied, made himself a master of the books, and in the winter of 1838, at the age of 16, he received a certificate to teach the Gogwak Prairie School. And he continued to teach in the winters in Battle Creek until the spring of 1843. Then he entered the branch of Michigan University at Kalamazoo, remaining there for three years. And then he entered the University of Ann Arbor in the summer of 1847, leaving in the fall to teach in the village of Athens in Calhoun County. He taught in various places until the fall of 1857 when, with a little bit of failing health, he went to Mississippi. There he soon took charge of the academy near Yazoo City, and he returned to Michigan after the lapse of only about a year. And he opened a select school at Battle Creek, which became known as the Union School. Following that, he taught at Climax School and ended his teaching career. In the fall of 1859, he published his book entitled Jottings of a Year's Sojourn in the South, which was favorably received both north and south. His work is a volume of 320 pages, and it's a very racy record of Southern life in those days, considered very worthy a place in any Michigan library. In this book, he gave a lot of reminiscence and graphic sketches of several figures down in the South. Among them was George Poindexter, Henry Foote, S.S. Prentice, and even Jefferson Davis. And these biographical sketches of these men were considered quite matchless to any orator of the time. In 1864, Mr. Van Buren engaged in the life insurance business, which became his occupation for the rest of his life. He married Miss Mary L. Gibson on November 14, 1866, and they resided in Galesburg, Michigan, where he held various town offices through 
throughout the year. It was during this time and a few years before that he began writing a lot of pioneer sketches in history of his early days from his childhood all through his time living in Michigan, recording masterfully a lot of that period of time, which made its way into the Pioneer Collections, published by the Pioneer Society of Michigan. And one of the men, Henry Bishop of Kalamazoo, described A.D.P. Van Buren as, he was a terse and vigorous writer on subjects congenial to him. No man furnished more interesting historical sketches of old pioneers for the different volumes of the state pioneer history than Mr. Van Buren. He was an honest temperance worker, an earnest Bible student, and a great aide to Sabbath schools and a member of the Congregational Church. The greater part of his life was spent in the schoolroom, where he endeavored to teach true manhood by example, as well as by precept. And that was what Henry Bishop described him as. So the counties of Calhoun and Kalamazoo are fortunate that he was a resident first in Battle Creek and later in Galesburg. And as a writer of biography, he's never been excelled by any resident of Michigan from his pen preserved in the Pioneer Collections. Now, this is part of the Historical Collections, Volume 22, which was published in 1894 by members of the Pioneer Society, and this was a memoir on Anson de Puy Van Buren after he passed away. And so all of these quotes here at this section of this podcast, I'm, I'm kind of reading from this material, which offers a fascinating insight into his life and his history, which it kind of gives you an inside look at how this pioneer historian lived and his background so that you can get a feel for where he was coming from and the amount of detail that he wanted to make sure got conveyed into the history books of that time period. Now, he was described as having a thorough command of language a remarkable memory, a humor that never exhausted itself, and an intimidable style with the anecdotes of those hardy pioneers. These alone would form a volume of genuine humor, and this characteristic of the man was fresh and genial as ever up to the last hours of his life. Now, he did not become a member of the State Pioneer Society until 1883, but many of his papers of previous years written for the County Pioneer Societies of Calhoun and Kalamazoo were later preserved in the Pioneer Collections by this organization. Among the leading papers of his humorous character are the political campaign of 1840 with incidents anecdotes and recollections of its distinguished editors and orators north and south and it's in volume 10 of the pioneer collections he also wrote about temperance and the history of the old branches of the Michigan University and the branch University of Kalamazoo and Michigan in pioneer and national politics and a whole host of other subjects. He also wrote one 120-page paper on the log schoolhouse era that is a considerable fascinating insight into his early life and character as a teacher. As a pioneer schoolmaster, he devoted 21 years of his life to teaching mostly country schools, for it was all country then, and he gave his full experiences as a teacher from the age of 16 to age 36, commencing in 1838 and closing in 1859. He was the best type of Western pioneer schoolmaster. 
He'd started with the determination to be a teacher, and after a first trial, attended higher schools in summer to make up for his defects that he found in his own teaching style. With the smallest of wages, he preserved and finally gained some name and fame as a teacher. His early wages in 1838 were not recorded, but in 1842, they found that he was teaching for $8 a month during that time. 1847, he'd reached the figure of $14 a month, and a little later, into $18 a month. When he's got into the higher grade of school teaching, he was earning $75 a month. In those days, the school officers were called the Board of Regents, and the schoolmaster played the part of president and professor in the Pioneer Schoolhouse. When he had advanced students that drove him beyond the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, he expanded his teaching into natural philosophy, algebra, and also into botany and astronomy. So in that paper, he vividly describes the first schoolhouse that he taught in. He says it was built of oak logs with cobbed up corners. The roof was composed of shakes that were held in their place by long poles laid lengthwise over the top of each course and pinned down at each end. The floor was a puncheon. The fireplace with broad jams was surmounted with a stick chimney which ran up the outside and east end of the building. There was but one door and but one window, close behind it on each side. The door swung on oaken hinges and were fastened and answered to a wooden latch that was raised by the accustomed leather latch string. The logs were chinked and muddied up, and the building was considered fit for winter use. There was not a nail or particle of iron about the house. The glass was secured in the sashes by little wooden pegs, and the cross piece over the fireplace was a wooden support. Our schoolroom furniture, like the building, was of the most primitive kind. Poles were bored into the legs some three feet from the floor on the sides of the west end of the room, into which long pegs were driven. Boards were secured on these pegs slanting inward for the desk. Rough boards on wood Wooden legs are parallel to the desk for seats. Slabs with shorter legs constituted the seats for the smaller children. The schoolmaster's table was also of pioneer make. The teacher was without blackboard or bell and called the school to order by rapping on the sash of the lone window with a book. His equipment was a cherry ruler, whip, and penknife. Daily the pens were made for each scholar far enough advanced to write. And with each commencement, Mr. Van Buren perfected himself as a teacher and followed it with many years at the lowest wages because he loved the profession, which he conferred as his signal honor. His vivid and thorough record of his long services as a teacher of itself was a monumental piece in the historical collections of Michigan. And in this article, the author says, Teacher of the Pioneers, thyself a pioneer, we salute you in death. They described Mr. Van Buren was a tall and graceful man with the head and face that was the model for a sculptor. As a member of the State Pioneer Society from 1883 until his death, 
He stood very high in the estimation of his fellows. Except for his deafness, he would have filled the position of president long before his death. And they described him that his place as a historian that no one could ever really fill. So he was highly regarded in his time as one of the most respected historians of the day. And if you have a chance to ever explore some of the writings in the Pioneer collections, these can be found at the Willard Library in Battle Creek. It really gives a fascinating insight into early pioneer history, and there's little bits of details and stories along the way that really make it quite fascinating. I'm going to give you just a little anecdote of a story that I found written by ADP Van Buren about the story of a man who shot a bear in the Gogwak area of the prairie way back in the pioneer period when he was here. And just the level of detail that he gives in the story really puts the picture in his mind. And it's the story of a man shooting a bear with one of the early rifles where they had the ball, they put the ball down there and they put the uh, the charge in there. It was, so these were like single shot guns. And it was very unusual to be able to shoot a bear with that type of gun. It wasn't until they got the repeating rifles that uh, shooting a bear was a lot easier in those days. But here's, here's the story. I'm going to read it to you. Um, I get the following incident from Deacon Isaac Mason. While he was living on on the Lloyd Porter Farm in Deacon's Case neighborhood. One Sunday morning, he was harnessing his horses to his wagon, and up came Leonard Starkweather Jr., who called out to him from the road, Mr. Mason, get your gun and come along with me. I'm on the track of a bear. He just killed a hog from me, and I'm going to kill him. Come on. The deacon replied, I have no gun. So Starkweather went on without Deacon. And a short time later, he heard the report of a rifle, and he soon learned that Lee had killed the bear. He then borrowed a friend's oxen and drew his game along on a sled, and there was light snow on the ground. So Deacon Mason the next morning visited the spot where Starkweather had shot the animal, and it appeared that the bear had laid down under a treetop on the dry leaves, and from there, Starkweather stood where he fired a gun, and he could just see his head above the branches. A little thing was the means of his killing the bear. The bullet hit a small twig that was on the tree between him and the bear, and it turned the direction of the bullet just enough to hit the animal in the head. And it had it not been for the twig the ball would have missed its mark. So this is a story in detail of a somewhat humorous incident on the Gogwak Prairie where a farmer went out to shoot a bear with a one-shot rifle and got a lucky shot, hit a shot at the bear in branches, and the bullet ricochets off a branch and was successful in killing the bear. And this is just one small example. You can find examples of ADP Van Buren often reported in local newspapers, drawing from his stories from the Pioneer Collection throughout the years, even after he passed away. And he was quite frequently referenced on some of the Pioneer Society of Michigan because he had such a great sense of detail in telling his stories. So I just wanted to conclude this in my podcast because he is a figure that I will be frequently referencing in future podcasts as well as future videos on my YouTube channel. In fact, I've already already used him as a historical reference in several
several YouTube videos. And I also just recently released a video on Young's Cemetery where his parents are buried. And I cover a little bit of the story of ADP Van Buren in that video. So I'll put the link to that in the description of this podcast if you're interested in checking it out on YouTube. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to leave a review on whatever app you're listening on. It really helps to reach others that way to help them find my show. And of course, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, the link will be down in the description of this podcast. And you can also check out my website and uh, reach out to me through there if you'd like. There's a contact form and tell me your thoughts about what you think of the podcast. I'd love to hear from you. So that's going to conclude today's journey through history. I hope you will join me next time as I explore some more tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thanks for listening. Thank you.